Welcome to Menu Feed, a bi-weekly podcast from Restaurant Business and Food Service Director. I'm Pat Kobe, Senior Editor covering Menu, Food, and Drink for both publications. My guest today is Joe Isidori, chef, owner of Author and Sons, an old-school Italian restaurant he opened in New York City this past summer. Joe comes from a three-generation restaurant family and grew up in his father's red sauce joint, standing on milk crates to clean shrimp and plate pasta when he was just five years old. He went on to hone his skills in culinary school, head up Michelin-starred restaurants, and create Black Tap Craft Burgers and Beers, which started as a 15-seat luncheonette and grew to an international chain specializing in great burgers and crazy milkshakes. Black Tap was rooted in nostalgia, and that's the same theme that runs through Author and Sons, his most personal project to date. It pays homage to his family's legacy, named for his grandfather and father, and serving Italian-American classics like chicken parm, penny vodka, and spumoni, all updated with artisan and housemade ingredients and new cooking styles. The cocktails are upgrades of old school classics too. Listen as Joe describes the twists and turns that led to Arthur and Sons and why this is the first time in his career that he feels like he's being me. Welcome, Joe. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Let's start by you telling me a little bit about your culinary journey and your family's restaurant history. Did you go to culinary school or did you just, you know, jump right into the kitchen? I did it all. Uh, I'm a New York, I'm a New York City kid. My family's been uh, slinging chicken parm and penny alabaca since 1954 in all of the five boroughs. Uh, so I grew up in this business. At five years old, I was, you know, making side salads, cleaning shrimp, and uh, standing on two milk crates, putting out sides of pasta and potato croquette in my father's restaurant. Wow. Um, yeah. So I, I, you know, I didn't, I, I really haven't done much else in my life. My father used to say. You know, some people lay bricks, some people fix shoes, we cook. That's what we do. And that was ingrained in my head at, at a young age. And what I, you know, what I also learned at a young age was the only way I could see my dad was to go work at the restaurant. So by the time I was like five or six, I was obsessed with the restaurant. But, you know, I did that, you know, through my teenage years. And, and one day I went to my father and I said, I think there's a better life out there. And he said, what are you, crazy? <laughs> I said, no, I'm going to go to culinary school. And uh, he was he was dumbfounded by it. He was like, what do you mean culinary school? I'm not paying for that. Because I'll teach everything you know you need to know here. I was like, come on, dad, let's get real for a second. I was <laughs> like chicken parmesan and penny alla vodka and meatballs. So off I went to go sow my oats, as they say. And I, I went to the Culinary Institute of America and uh, graduated from there and, you know, did the whole routine as a cook. Worked in New York City. Uh, worked in Miami, worked in Chicago, worked in Las Vegas. You know, I, I did the whole thing. Along mm-hmm. the way, I was very fortunate to pick up uh, some awards. I won a Michelin star. And awesome. uh, yeah, and, and, and uh, you know, it was it got to a point in life where I had done so many Michelin level restaurants in my career and so many fine dining restaurants. Like it was like you, you name a whole a, a level of a hotel. I, I I achieved that as far as a restaurant goes because back then it was about the restaurant and the hotel was was it back then. You know, it's not like it is today. And uh, probably when I was about 
32 years old, um, I received a call one day that my father had passed away basically in his kitchen. Um, and I said to myself, um, you know what? I'm not gonna let that happen to me. And I decided to think more like a businessman than I did a chef. And I started to, to um, you know, think about ways to uh, open restaurants that not only made my customers happy, but allowed me to be happy and provide me a lifestyle. And what I found um, was in turn that um, it was probably the best decision I ever made. So, so my, my, my trick is that I, I, I recall certain nostalgic memories in life. Um, and I tried to design restaurants around that, you know, Black Tap was a very famous restaurant for me and mm -hmm. people don't realize it because it was eclipsed by the Instagram milkshake, which my wife and I created. But the original story was every Tuesday, my dad used to pick me up and we used to go to a local luncheonette. We'd have a cheeseburger, deluxe and a milkshake. And it was the happiest times of my life. Mm -hmm. So I decided to build a 15 seat luncheonette burger bar and recreate that memory. I told that story. I called it Black Tap. And the world came clamoring because they felt this is a Michelin star chef, one of the best chefs in New York. And he has thrown it all. In the, he's thrown a towel in, thrown it all away. And now he's going to flip burgers for the rest of his life. They lose his mind. And they came <laughs> by and they ate the burger. And I think every bite that everyone took, they, not, not that it was the greatest burger in the world. They tasted the nostalgia that I put forth. And that was the most intoxicating thing for them. The rest is all history after that, which we can get into later. But but even more so, my newest restaurant, Arthur and Sons, is a restaurant that pays homage to the three generations of chefs and restaurateurs in my family. And we're simply cooking the food that I grew up with in a cool, hip fashion. And people are loving it. it and was Arthur your father and your grandfather's name? So my grandfather was Arthur Joseph. My father was Arthur Joseph. I'm Joseph Arthur. And my son is Roman Arthur. And that's the term, Arthur and Sons. Okay. So Arthur was the... The thread that pulled it all together. It is, it is. But believe it or not, my grandmother was the best chef and was the best professional chef in the entire family. Mm. Um, her name was Fanny, and she had a flagship restaurant on 47th and 6th for a very long time, um, which she was uh, New York Times uh, rated. Wow. Greg Claiborne, 1964. Wow, that's impressive. My, my family is all Harlem, the Bronx, and Yonkers. That's like the, the trinity of, of that, that uh -huh. time. You know, it's like, Queens, Long Island, Brooklyn, Staten Island, New Jersey, Harlem, Bronx, Yonkers. That's kind of like how it goes. Right. That's what we're a part of. So all the red sauce joints in those neighborhoods are very reminiscent of how I grew up. And when did you actually launch Blacktop, the small luncheonette that it was? And where was that located? I started the project in like 2014. I think I opened like around 2015. Mm -hmm. um, it was located in Soho. Tiny okay. little restaurant. I, I took over uh, a space that nobody wanted. And it was on an odd triangle, Bermuda Triangle strip of Soho, close to the village. It was like, everyone's like, this is no man's land. What are you doing over here? By the Holland Tunnel. Mm -hmm. Rent was cheap. That's all I really cared about back then. I built the place with plywood, spray paint, and like old neon lights. And people used to come in when I was building, like, when are you going to paint the place and make it look good? I'm like, I'm not. This is what mm -hmm. it is. And like, you know, I bought cheap chairs on Amazon. Like I just, I just phoned it in with no frills as best I could, but I did it with a little bit of edge. My mother used to come and go, this looks like your bedroom when you were a kid. Cause it was, 
<laughs> I was a I was an artist when I was a kid, a, a street mm-hmm. artist, a graffiti artist. So I like kind of incorporated all of that and I built it for really nothing. And um, I said to myself, if I do 60 people a day, I can break even and pay back the loan to my investors. 72 hours after I opened, we had so many people banging on the door to get in that I had to close for a day and reboot because I, I was like, well, this isn't going to work. We're doing like three, 400 people a day. And then from there, we won every best burger. We were on every best burger list. We won Burger Bash, which I ended up being the three-time Burger Bash champion. <clears throat> and we were packed. We had everybody in there. We were like the best kept secret in New York. And then one day, my wife came to me and she said, um, I have an idea. I said, I ah, I don't need your ideas right now. I got people want my burgers. I was like, what do you want me to do? She's like, go to work and make an over the top crazy shake, put cotton candy on it, put all types of stuff on it. And everyone's going to go nuts. I told her she was out of her mind. I said, I got no time for this BS. I said, I said, yeah, you, you can't. Yeah. I said, yeah, come on. You know? So as every good man does, you want to make your wife happy. So I went to work one day, I got my team and I said, like, we're going to make this shake. And we made one. Uh, together. I tweaked it. I kind of came, I came up with like the, 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 the special technique of it, uh, which was wrapping the glue on the outside um, and uh, which is cake icing. And then uh, I took a picture and we put it on Instagram when Instagram was pretty much nothing. Right. Um, and so about I don't know, two days, three days later, hordes of young ladies and young girls were outside asking for it. I was like, Oh, I was like, what do you, you want that to shake? And we started like making like little free ball kind of candy shakes. And I was like, this isn't going to work. So um, my team and I got together and we made um, a couple of shakes and people started to like them. And I went to uh, this girl, uh, these, these two girls who worked for me at the time, they were like helping my social media. And I said, here's what I want to do. They said, what? I said, you're going to go to Chinatown. You're going to buy, there's a place that sells gummies. You're going to buy gummy sharks, right? I said, you're going to buy gummy sharks. You're going to come back. We're going to make a blueberry blue shake. We're going to put red icing on the outside. We're going to put all these gummy sharks all over them, whipped cream and all this other stuff. And I said, you're going to say this. And I said, what? I said, welcome to Shake Week. It's better than Shark Week. I said five days of crazy shakes. And for five days, I posted five different crazy shakes. By the end of the fifth day, uh, BuzzFeed posted an article saying we were the craziest milkshakes in America. Uh, I went to bed that night, my phone crashed, my email crashed, my, my website crashed, Instagram went down, everything. Wow. My wife was waking me up in the middle of the night. Joe, 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 why, 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 leave me alone. I'm sleeping, I, I gotta go to work. And uh, she said, there's something wrong. I said, what? And we woke up and we looked at our Instagram and it had hundreds of thousands of followers. And um, I went to work that day. And when I got there, there was probably about 300 people lined up in front of a small little 700 square foot, 15 seat burger bar, all looking to get the best burger in New York and the craziest milkshake in America. And that's how Black Tap was created. Wow, that's quite a story. There's a lot more to it, but I gave you the clip. I'm sure. But how many locations did you end up with? I know you're not involved with it anymore. Yeah, but... no, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm no longer part of it. I, I, right. I, I exited the company um, a while back, um, which was the best decision for me and my family. I, I think I got to like when I was part when I was there. I, I think 16 stores, and I 
opened about 14 of those 16. Mm. If, if I'm not mistaken, they might be at like 21 by now. I have mm. no idea. I wish them all the best. Uh, God bless. But uh, yeah, it was quite the journey, quite the experience. And, um, you know, my son was just born at the time. Um, his passport's got more stamps than most people in a lifetime. Uh, we opened restaurants all over the world. And uh, I took my wife and my kid along with me on the journey. It was very, it was the greatest time of ever to be able to travel the world with your six month old boy and your, and your beautiful wife. And went to Amsterdam, London, Geneva, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, you name it. We went all, all over the place. So it was a great experience, but off uh, to bigger and better things. As yeah. Say. So let's hear about Arthur and Sons and how you came up with the concept. So and- Arthur and Sons is, is, is to, to put it in two words, it's personal. Um, it's my most personal project yet. I, I took a stab at this a while back in Brooklyn. Um, I, I opened a restaurant called Arthur on Smith. And um, I thought, and this is why I'm 45 now, so this is like 10 years ago, maybe more. I thought that Arthur on Smith was going to be the coming of age story. I was going to be this Michelin star chef that digresses and opens up a little old school Italian restaurant in Brooklyn. Well, guess what? I couldn't get out of my own fucking way, as they say. Yeah. Um, so I couldn't get out of my own way. And, and I intended on opening a restaurant that paid homage to my family. But in turn, all I did was just fussy everything up and, 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 and handmade pastas and organic wines. Like I was probably a restaurant 10 years ago that people want to see today. Mm-hmm. Right. You'd see all like the uh, sustainable organic uh, flowers and, 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 and this and that and handmade pastas and organic wines that everyone's going nuts for today. I was doing that 10, 12 years ago. And nobody used to come in a restaurant and look at me like deer in the headlights. And I was like, this isn't, this isn't working. I was like, this isn't working. I was like, this is crazy. It was at that moment, it was called Arthur and Smith, and everyone told me the place sounded too pretentious. And I needed to serve meatballs and eggplant parmesan and all sorts of stuff. And I was like, I don't know. It was at that moment that I realized I need to pivot. And I wanted to do, and I wanted to take the space. I wanted to paint it white and red, put checkered tablecloths and old, and old candles. And I wanted to call it Arthur and Sons. And I literally wanted to sell chicken, parmesan, fried calamari, meatballs and everything. But we were broke. And we had no way of like being able to spend money to pivot like that. It was like kind of like being a straight track. And then one day somebody walked in off the street and was like, I'll buy the place. From you. I was like, sold. I was like, it's yours. <laughs> you know. And um, I actually moved on from there. And, and funny story at Arthur and Smith, I was selling cheeseburgers in an Italian restaurant at the bar with a beer from Six Point Brewery, which was brand new at the time, just to pay the rent. It was like, and I came out of the restaurant. One, I came out of the kitchen one day. I said to my major, I said, what the fuck is going on here? Everyone's outside and, and the dining room's empty and the bar is full. Seat these people. They were like, Joe. I said, what? They're waiting for the burger. I said, yes, yeah, so? He goes, you'll only serve the burger at the bar. I was like, you got to be kidding me. He was like, yep. I was like, sit them everywhere. I'll feed them burgers wherever they want. <laughs> and, and that was when I came up with the idea of Blacktop. And, and so I sold the restaurant, pivoted, opened up Blacktop, which dominated my life for God knows how many years. And um, I always, in my back of my mind, said, the next time I do an Arthur, I'm going to do Arthur and Sons, and it's going to be personal, and I'm going to kill it. 
and I'm going to do, I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. And that's going to serve the food that my, my grandparents and my parents taught me. And that's what we're doing. It's literally a piece of me and a piece of them. It's an old school red sauce joint with Tiffany lights playing hip hop and Sinatra serving meatballs, chicken parm, spicy rigatoni, Caesar salad, spumoni, Chianti, Montepulciano, Pinot Grigio, Vermentino, espresso martinis. It's, it's a fever dream of Italian American red sauce joints. And uh, I think that's why everyone likes us because for the first time in my career, and this is a big statement, I'm actually being me. I don't think I ever was me for the first 20 years of my success. I do think I am now being me. And I think that's why I have what I have and we're doing what we're doing and why people love it. Well, your father would be proud too. He would be, yes. Yeah. He'd say it's about time, kid. <laughs> and what are some of the, I mean, you mentioned some of the, the signatures on the menu, but um, have you changed up the recipes at all or are they pretty much like your uh, I haven't. So recipes and meth, I mean, recipes I haven't changed. I've done a couple of different things. Like our cooking methods and style is different a little bit. You know what I mean? They were old knock around guys. You know what I mean? They were knock around guys. They had a cigarette in their, in their mouth. They had a drink on the table and they were making 50 gallons of tomato sauce, you know, like, what, you know, did they, they were just different kind of breed back then, right? right. So our cooking style and our method is different. Um, so that's one, we approach it more like my, where the cloth I'm cut from, which is, you know, that very true professional New York City chef. So we approach it, approach everything that way, but the recipes are the same. The other big difference is, is the quality of the ingredients. I mean, mm-hmm. back then, my father used to say, the menu's a business model, it's not a menu, you know, and he would, you know, my, my father used to uh, uh, negotiate uh, cases of tomatoes like he was playing the stock market. I was, you know, I was like, Dad, just pay the extra two dollars to get the better stuff. He's like, No. He's like, Two dollars is a lot of money. I got to buy twenty four cases. Do the math. I'm like, All right, all right, I gotcha. So um, we just focus on using really great, high quality ingredients. Our cheese is is whole milk with no lecithin. It's got it's it's just pure whole milk mozzarella. Mm-hmm. Our tomatoes are San Marzano from, from, uh, from Italy. It's a lavale. Our tomato paste is muti, which is the best and my favorite. Um, the pastas are all either handmade, fresh from refettos or bronze cut. And the list goes on and on, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what separates us apart. I mean, people have come in and like, ah, it's just red sauce food. I'm like, yeah, and so... I mean, it's not supposed to blow you out off your seat. It's not supposed to win Michelin stars. It's supposed to do its job. And, you know, but, and then others are like, holy cow, that's the best chicken parm I ever had. Holy cow, that's the best alabaca I've ever had. Holy cow, the spumoni, spumoni, why is it so good? I'm like, because we make homemade ice cream. We don't buy it from Bindi. We make homemade ice cream. And those are the things that separate us uh, combined with the vibe of the restaurant. And that's what makes that, you know, it's that catnip as they say, that gets everyone. So I think that's the difference, you know, um, back in the day, my, my father opened the doors and threw a white tablecloth on the table or check a tablecloth and served big platters of food and gave everyone uh, a value and, you know, played Frank Sinatra. You know, I think we do, we take our vibe, our quality and our approach much differently. And that's what separates us. So you don't serve family style like a lot of Italian American restaurants. So we we are a shareable restaurant. Mm-hmm. It is we hate saying the term family style, yeah, um, because it, it just people have a, a negative con- connotation towards it. 
So when people sit, you know, they pick up that it is family style, and but we let them know our portions are large. Um, they are shareable, um, but we guide them. Like we'll say, look, you got four people, right? You want to get three or four appetizers. You definitely want to get three three entrees, and you want to save room for a minimum of two desserts, right? And and what we do is we guide them through that. Um, we set the table appropriately. But it's not like family style, like big portions. It's like a little bit more than a normal portion, you know, and, and our pricing reflects that. So I can, like, everyone's like, oh, you know, you're expensive. I'm like, I'm really not. I was like, the guy down the street's giving you three and a half, four ounces of pasta. I'm giving you eight ounces of pasta and it's the same price. It was like, so, you know, um, what we try to do is take the, the, the family style value financially and incorporate that into our restaurant. But at the same time, we like to be more social and communal. Family style is kind of like troughs of food. Yeah. Uh, our style is communal, social, inviting. Like you feel good there. You're happy to share a plate of spicy rigatoni alla vodka with you know, your table. And how about the cocktail list? What is different about that? I know you combine some like old school drinks with more modern takes or... That's my baby, the cocktail list. You know, I have three things that I love to do. One, I like to take an old school Italian cocktail and, 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 and retrofit it, like the espresso martini, right? Mm -hmm. They're hot right now, but I got to be honest, I never stopped serving them. Even when they weren't cool and when it was considered the Staten Island drink, I still serve them in my restaurant because I love them. And my best friends love them and we all drink them and we don't care what people think. And now all of a sudden we laugh at everyone. We look at like <laughs> my, my best friends, they love drinking espresso martinis. We go to their house and their, and their daughter used to laugh at us, right? Now she's older and she can drink. She's like, oh, we went to this great restaurant, espresso martinis. I said, oh, now it's cool, right? I know, you know? they're so trendy but now. The big trend. But what we do is we try to use top shelf liqueurs. Like, you know, we use... In our espresso martini, we make we, we we work with a company called Wandering Bear. We buy really high quality cold brew. We serve that with a Mr. Black liqueur with some vanilla vodka. So it's mm -hmm. it's once again a quality approach. Our Negroni has got a little bit of a twist. We use mezcal. Our our uh, we do we do a, uh, like a Black Manhattan, which is made with amaro. I make a hazelnut old fashioned, which is made with frangelica. Um, but my favorite of everything is. I'm obsessed with tiki cocktails. I, my wife tells me I get on a plane and the first thing I start thinking about is a pina colada and she's right. So we make a great pina colada, which I spike with coconut rum, obviously, and amaretto. Mm -hmm. And I call it Sophia Loren because they say it's just as beautiful as the real thing. And it's one of the biggest sellers. We do the same thing with the Mai Tai. Instead of using Orgat, we use uh, amaretto. Um, we'll make a tiki punch with nocello, which is walnut liqueur. So that's our approach to the, to the cocktail menu. It's classic, it's creative, and it's fun um, or whimsical, and people love it. Well, I'll definitely have to try the Negroni because that's one of my favorite drinks. I've never had one with mezcal. Usually it's gin or... But the almighty drink of all is the uh, Aperol Spritz. Everyone oh, yeah. It. I mean, yeah, those are, that's like the espresso martini. I mean, they're like everywhere now. Yeah, they're one, they're, they're one and two, as we say, on the P-Mix. Yeah, and they're really good because they're lighter and you don't feel like, you know, you're, in, you know, having too much alcohol. So I like them. And how about labor and supply challenges? Were you able to open, at, you know, without any of those hampering your opening or? Supply chain issues, is that what you're asking? 
supply and labor. I mean, that's what everybody's talking about now. Oh my God, it was like it was, it was an uphill battle and like trying to move a mountain. It was very difficult. You know, we because we took such a classic approach to our food menu, a few things happened, right? One, products we were looking for were available. We weren't looking for anything over the top or crazy. It was just really the volume of it. So that helped us a little bit, you know, because it was a more of a, a smaller pinpointed do the classics better than anybody else type of approach. So mm-hmm. those products were, were somewhat in abundance, um, but not, not by much. But that same approach helped with the employees. Um, one, we, had a, we have a strong bench. I've been doing this for you know, my whole life in New York City. I always tell people when they come in, they're like, how do you handle the, the labor crisis? And I, and I go, 15 years, 14 years, 13 years. That one's 20 years, eight years. Oh, by the way, she's the newbie. She's three years I was like, we create, I was like, what I do is I don't hire on skill set or resume. I don't do any of that BS. I hire on personality. You got to, because I can't teach you personality. I can teach you what to do. I can't teach you personality. So if you're a good person, you work hard, you got great personality, you can work with me. Right. And because of that, people stay with me and I make sure that they're treated fairly. I believe in diverse staff. Our staff is one of the most diverse staff you'll see in the West Village. We love it. We're proud of it. Um, we treat them good. Um, if anything comes up, we make sure we handle it. And, 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 and when people walk into our restaurant, they see that I have all these veterans with me that have been and it makes them comfortable. Like, well, something must be good here. then, mm. Right. And, and my point is, is that that back to the original point was the, that approach of just doing the classics well. So the, the point of doing the classics well is it takes away the angst of something that's unknown, right? It's just chicken parm. It's just meatballs. It's just an espresso martini. It's just a glass of wine, right? They're like, I can do that. Wait, and the chef's not going to scream and yell at me. And we're going to just do this a hundred times over a night in a place. Everyone's going to be happy. And I'm going to make money. That's the kind of place people want to work at. Not something where you got to go home and study a Bible and there's 35 steps to service. And the chef is sweating in the back, anxious about winning Michelin stars. And the front of the house has got a big bow tie or triple Windsor knots tie. And he wants to serve and wants to be a master sommelier. That shit is over. These kids don't want to work with that. They want to work in restaurants so that they can make some money. They can be treated the right way. They can have some fun and their customers have fun. So, you know, because we take all of these different approaches, it kind of cushioned the blow of not being able to find people. People wanted to work for us. Product, standard product. Let's find it. Let's get it. Let's work with it. Um, Environment, inviting and welcoming. And then we're busy. Because you know what? The customer sees all of that. The customer sees that we're doing that and they say, we want to eat there because it looks like they're doing the right thing. And in turn, it's busy. And in turn, everyone makes money and the restaurant becomes popular. And we all hold hands and walk through the fire together. And at the end of the night, hopefully, uh, you know, we can break bread or have a cocktail together. So no tweezers putting garnishes on plates as they go through the pass-through? <laughs> I don't even know if we have garnishes on our plates. <laughs> Definitely no tweezers. But let me tell you something. I can go. Uh, I can go pull out all my tweezers from the past if you like. No, that's quite all right. I'm. I'm more in the style of what you're doing now. I like that style. Yeah. So, to just wrap up, what are you most looking forward to, both personally and professionally, in 2023? Do you have any 
something else in the works. I know you just opened Author and Son, so I wouldn't expect oh. you to have something else in the works. But no, no, no. I always got something going. I'm a very busy guy. Personally, it's always about family for me. I, I personally um, am at a point in my life where um, it's about legacy and family. Um, my son, my wife, myself. That's the most important trifecta in the world to me. I have achieved, my wife said to me the other night, no matter what happens, you fall on your face tomorrow, but uh, you, you don't do anything else. You have created a restaurant that has paid legendary homage to your family and will never be forgotten. And your son will see that. And to me, that's the most important. So my personally, I want to continue that because I believe if I do that, I'll make money. Meaning like, and I don't mean like make money, like make money. I mean, like I'll make money where I can then allow this to grow and provide generational wealth, not financially, but opportunity and, and, and nostalgia and all that stuff for my son. I hope he doesn't go into this business, but if he is going to go into this business, he needs to know he comes from good stock. He comes from legendary stock and there's a lot behind him. Mm. So personally in 2023 and every year moving forward, that will be my goal. Um, professionally, you know, I want to develop uh, and grow my own restaurant brand and personal brand where I can bring new and exciting things to the market that reflect me. More Arthur and Sons. Um, we are great in New York. We're probably going to look to do another location in Miami um, where I can then go back and forth. I would love to, uh, we're, we're talking about talking about uh, creating a sauce line to bring our famous sauces to, uh, to market. Another taste of Arthur and Sons at home. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I've been doing a lot of great social media stuff on TikTok. And I have this series called My Little Italy, where I go to great places and, you know, act myself and eat cannolis and supersad and rigatoni and talk with people and, and uh, I, I, I want to continue um, building that and bringing great stories to people to get a good taste of what my family has done since 1954 and what you can experience when you come to my restaurant or you buy my sauce for your home. So those are my personal and professional goals for 2023 and beyond, because nothing happens in one year. Thanks so much, Joe. I have a real craving for chicken parm and espresso martinis right about now. Please join me in a couple of weeks for another episode of Menu Feed. You can download the podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Pat Kobe. Mm -hmm.